Several years ago, there was a character created by the geniuses at Saturday Night Live uh, named Aunt Sue, and she's one of my favorites. And if you if you don't know who she is, you can you can show this picture of her. Aunt Sue <clears throat> is a an interesting character in that this woman is unable to contain herself when she knows something that someone else doesn't know. So she gets invited into a conversation with a group of people who are saying, we're gonna surprise so-and-so with this news. When Aunt Sue is told about this news, the woman loses her mind. And it is hilarious what she does to try and contain herself from telling the people the news that she now knows about. She eats a pillow, she throws herself out windows, she shoves herself in a vending machine so that she cannot give away the exciting news that she now knows about. And I mean, you talk about physical comedy, you talk about humor, it is a perfect picture of someone who just cannot, cannot contain themselves because they now know something. Um, Paul, to the Colossians, says these words in Colossians chapter 1. He says, where are we at? God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So Gentiles, you're either Jewish or you're Gentile. To you, those who don't have any knowledge of the law, any knowledge of what God's people did in the Old Testament, you may not know any of these things, but it's not determining whether or not you're a part of God's family. Something new has happened. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Cue Aunt Sue moment, right? Like, cue the, I can't, I now know something. Like, the excitement that begins to stir, the excitement that begins to go, what God has let us in on the big reveal. Like, this is it. Everything that history has marched up to has pointed to this secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. We have spent five weeks talking about assurance. We have spent five weeks talking about how do I know that I'm a part of his family? How do I know that Christ died for me. How do I know that God wants anything to do with me? And we're not looking at ourselves. We're actually looking at Christ as an answer and evidence for all those things that we so desperately want to know. That tiny letter, five chapters that you may have read 35 times this month. I don't know. You probably could have read it once a day. You could have read it twice a day. You could read it a bunch of times in one sitting even. It's very short. But in these five short chapters, the word know, K-N-O-W, what we know 
is mentioned 39 times in five chapters. I'm pretty sure John wants us to know some things. And in the last chapter of John chapter five, he actually says it eight times. He's reviewing everything he has spent his whole time writing about. Human beings have a deep desire for certainty. And when we don't have certainty, the body does not handle it well. Worrying about where the next meal is coming from, anxiety about how tough conversations will go, fear about how the world seems to be turning. Human life cannot be built on unknowns. Thankfully, we have a God who desires for us to know some things. This is why you and I, we live in a city desperately hoping to know some things. It's why horoscopes, tarot cards, um, fortune telling, all these things that we run after because we want to know at some point that we will be okay. It's why everybody grasps at anything and everything because we want to know how will this turn out? Will I be okay? And John, through his words in 1 John, is explaining to the church, you will be okay. Though there might be suffering, though there will be false teachers, though there will be people who will intentionally deceive you, though there will be, I mean, he just, he talks about it. He says, you will be okay. You know why? Because Jesus has come fully God, fully man. He has walked the earth. He has died for our sins, given us eternal life, and removed all fear of judgment. That is how you know you will be okay. And I love, I love, I love that his final words to us in this letter would say, because of all those things that you now know, don't give yourself to anything else. Don't hand your life. Don't mess around with your heart. Don't hand it to things that will not give you the certainty you hope for. The power of John's gospel and 1 John is found in what he declares to be real, to be knowable, and to be certain. And it's not just what we know, but it really is who we know. I've heard it said that John's letter to the church's main theme is what is real versus what is not. And there's nothing more real than the story of God revealing himself in Christ, bringing us into right relationship with himself, and us being the people of God on the earth. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are the children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Some translations say, dear children, keep yourself from idols. 
And I know some of you in this room are saying, idols? We're so enlightened. We're so advanced. We don't have any stinking idols. We don't have it. If you'll just pause with me for a second. Let's all pull this out. Let's all pull our phones out. Excuse me, phone. Tell me who I should marry. Swipe left twice, swipe right. Well, okay, yeah. Dear phone, I need some financial advice. What are the stocks going to be like today? Dear phone, tell me what I should be outraged by today. Dear phone, tell me what I should laugh at today. Dear phone, give me the advice because my foot hurts bad. Dear phone, are you kidding me? We don't have idols? Come on. Come on. Really? We are quicker to turn here for all the answers to life's questions than we are to go to the author of life. Friends, the reason we will never be enlightened enough, advanced enough, evolve enough, educated enough to move beyond idols is because the human heart never changes. The human heart is the same today as it was at the very beginning. I've heard one theologian said that the, the heart is an idol-making factory. So if you can picture a factory pumping out idols, it's all it does. You're not more advanced than those who had little, whittled out of wood, handmade, carved idols and bowed down to them in their homes or in their, on their property. It might look different, but your heart is still drawn to what is certain. And you will go to any length to find what is certain. An idol as simply as I can put it, is anything other than God that you and I put ultimate confidence in. That's as best as I can put it. Like, to say that God has everything for me is the, the Christ follower's declaration. Like, he's got me. But to take an idol and put it in that place and go, that thing has me. In Ephesus, where this letter may have actually found its way. This is a city that loved idols. The Temple of Diana was there. It was a wonder of the world at the time. You can go Google images of it. But because the Temple of Diana was there, selling idols was a really lucrative business. And they could sell you an idol for anything. Fertility, love, financial blessings, protection, taking care of enemies, guidance, wisdom about the future, anything and everything. People would spend their money, their time, and ultimately their very lives placing their confidence in a man-made statue. Their hearts hoped, I'm telling you, all they wanted to hear was, this is going to work out. And they would look anywhere for that answer. And I want you to know that the world understands this concept of idol worship, whether or not they know it. So... I went to a restaurant the other day and was surprised with a free t-shirt. See what it says? It says, queso is life. Some of you are like, yeah, it is. <laughs> there ain't anything better than queso. Like, I put queso on this, I put queso on that. I'll drink it if it's left at the bottom of the cup. Like, the world understands this idea. This is not just a religious thought, a Christian thought. Every single one of us could fill in that blank with something is life. Yesterday, we worshiped at the altar. 
of our favorite college football team. Like, to watch the games, to go, that person knows that Georgia football is life. Like, it's how they live. And if you're a Tennessee fan, I don't know how you live with yourself. <laughs> but people understand this phrase, whatever it is, fill in the blank, is life. They're saying, if I don't have that, I don't have life. This is not just a religious concept. This is a human heart issue. And we're all looking for that thing that will give us life. God has a very real opinion of these things that are man-made that we look to to give us life. And it's not just an opinion. It's actually a hatred for those things. A hatred for these man-made things. In Psalm 135, listen to the psalmist's words. The idols of the nations, those things that people are saying will give us life, that's what he's saying, are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears and cannot hear and mouths but cannot breathe. And then he takes it up a notch and says, and those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them. He is saying what you think he is saying. He is saying that you and I are blind, mute, can't even breathe, cannot hear, are not alive, because the things we're looking to are not living. Do you know that it is for our good that God would tell us how weak our idols really are? We don't like that. It actually makes us angry. It's why we push back. It's why we rebel. It's why our hearts stay hard. It's because we don't want to hear our idol is killing us. But God is good. And he doesn't let us remain there. Sadly, it's not just the nations around Israel that were struggling with idol worship. Unfortunately, it was Israel themselves. Idol worship became a way of life for them. Even though God had rescued, rescued them, promised that he would move them out of slavery into freedom because he loved them, he did all of these things to show how powerful he was, and yet Israel continued to let their hearts, eyes, and minds wander. Jeremiah chapter 25 records for us in the Old Testament, again and again, the Lord has sent you his servants, the prophets, but you have not listened or even paid attention. Each time the message was this, each time, same thing, every phrase. Turn from the evil road you are traveling and from the evil things you are doing. Only then will I let you live in this land that the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever. Do not provoke my anger by worshiping idols you made with your own hands. I love that he includes that. He's like, you do know you made the thing you're bowing down to. Like, you know that, right? You carved it with your hands, and now you're bowing down to it. 
Let's just think about that. Let's not move on. Let's say God, creator of the universe, is telling us you're bowing down to a dead thing. That hurts, man. That's hard. But if it be true, it is the best news that can be given to us that there is. He continues, Do not provoke my anger by worshiping idols you made with your own hands. Then I will not harm you. But you would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshiping idols you made with your own hands. There he says it again. Bringing on yourselves all the disasters you now suffer. Before you get all huffy because you don't like hearing about a God who is angered at his own people's idol worship. Am I a bad father? Because I get angry when I watch sickness ravage my kid's body. Am I a bad father because I would be angry at what this disease or illness is doing to my child? Would I be a bad father if I got angry because my children did not heed my words about running into the street where cars are coming by? My children have known my anger for running out into a street. Do you want to know why? Because I know what that car will do to my kid if it makes contact with them. Please do not fall for the lie that somehow you are more compassionate than God because you wouldn't get angry at idol worship. Truly, it is a, a psychopath who refuses to show emotion at things that are killing people. Please do not see yourself more compassionate than God because you believe somehow you don't need to get angry at idol worship. Even the priests made it okay for people to continue worshiping idols. Even the priests' hearts, they had been corrupted, they had been fooled, and a people who were to lead people in the love of God and their affection for God and the putting down of idols actually started affirming people as they worship these things that were killing them. In Jeremiah 23, he records for us, they keep saying to those who despise my word, they being the priests, they said, don't worry, the Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, no harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? And he continues several verses later in verse 25. I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me. just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Because God is a good father, he hates the things that kill us. 
And the problem is our hearts are addicted to the things that will kill us. This addiction and need for idols does not come because of the culture we live in and what we look around and see. We live in such an advanced day and age where they're just coming up with new ways to sin. No, they're not. There's nothing new under the sun. The heart wants what it wants. The problem is not out here. The problem is in here. We have a sin nature that just wants things other than God. So you and I are in a, in a quandary. We're in a problem. We need a new nature. We don't have the strength in and of ourselves to reject idols on our own because we'll just make another one. We'll just make another one. We'll just have another one. We'll go after a lesser one and then it'll become the ultimate one. It's just the way the human heart works. An idol is anything other than God that you and I put ultimate confidence in. John spent his entire letter encouraging, challenging, and reminding the believers and he is writing that there is nothing, nothing in this world that can actually save us except Jesus. You can see why the world would push back on that. You can see why people will be like, nope, it's impossible. Can't just be one. You can see why the world will be like, I hate you. I hate that you would say that. I don't like that you would even bring that up. There's got to be a ton of different ways. If God is who he says he is, the scripture is what it says it is, Jesus is who he says he is, then he's saying there's only one thing. And he does not pull any punches. John actually dives into what is true, not what is counterfeit or man-made false versions of Christianity. If you've read through 1 John, you don't see him talking about a bunch of pagan and wicked and evil things that the church is in front of. He's actually combating false views of Christianity. You talk about being relevant to our country and the places we're at in America? My goodness, this word, these words are still ringing so loud. John goes to war against false views of God false views of his commands, false views of Jesus, false views of sin, and false views of fellow believers. Friends, he goes right after the heart of what we believe as Christians. John's method for dealing with these false views is not to cover every possible false view, because they would be endless. Um, I don't know, if, for those of you, if you've um, ever seen what they do for fake dollar bill studies, uh, the $20 bill, if you, like, you can see, I think there's a little spot, spotting counterfeit currency. Uh, I just threw that up there uh, simply because there's a couple of things that the trained eye actually knows, can recognize a true $1 bill versus a fake $1 bill. And there are lots and lots of fake dollar bill patterns out there. Do you know that if the counterfeit teams that exist studied all of them, they there'd be new ones coming out. There'd be new ones, new false versions coming out. So you know what they spend their time doing? They study the real $1 bill. Like they know what the $1 bill, a real $1 bill looks like. So they're able to go, that's fake. That's a fake. That's a fake. Why do they know? Because they know what is true. This is how John decides to go after the counterfeit versions of Christianity. He goes with what's true. 
And he doesn't give people the wiggle room to go, eh. No, he says Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is not just a good teacher. He did not just come as a spirit. He showed up and put flesh on 100% God, 100% man, not 50-50, not some kind of spirit angel, not some kind of fake uh, uh, ghostly image, but a real man. And he walked on the earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross too, as he said in 1 John, take away our sins and to give us eternal life. So how do I know I've been forgiven? Jesus. How do I know I have eternal life? Jesus. How do I know? I mean, it's, it's our view of who Jesus is, and he goes after that. He won't let false views of Jesus derail his church. Jesus is the one who holds us in the false storms we walk in. We live in a culture that just shouts things without any understanding of what they're talking about. And it can be really shaky for us, but to know that he holds us in storms of lies, man, to rest and go, I don't have to know what every lie is out there. I just need to know what the truth is. And I let it anchor me. That he's our advocate. Some of you still see Jesus as your accuser. He's not the accuser. There is an accuser in the scripture, and it is not Jesus. Jesus is our advocate in 1 John. He says, when we do sin, because he says you will, <laughs> we have an advocate. He has covered us. It is Christ's righteousness that makes us whole and able to stand before God, not your righteousness. Jesus is the advocate, not the accuser. And if you are seeing Jesus as the accuser, you don't have an accurate view of who Jesus is. He's going to war against your false views. He continues and he goes to an accurate view of sin. Like, we don't think sin's a big deal. He's like, it's a big deal. It'll kill you. It aims and desires to master you and have you and control you. So, excuse me, but that's a big deal. Anything that wants to control my life, direct my life, end my life, is a very big deal. And he says that we, though sin is a big deal, you and I have been forgiven of it by faith in Christ. He says you won't make a practice of sinning. How do I know that I'm his child? Well, I'm not going to make a practice of sinning. And what are you doing when you practice sinning? You're aiming to get better at it, right? <laughs> like we come up with all sorts of ways to practice sin. And John's saying, look, because you know you have the Son of God, the power of God dwelling in you, you're not going to make a practice of sin. There's a difference between wrestling against sin and practicing it. He's like, you're going to wrestle, but you won't practice. Because now you have a new strength dwelling within you. That you and I walk in the light. We confess our sin. We don't hide our sin. We don't just let it sit and go, I don't want anybody to know. No, we all, we talk to each other, we confess. Why? Because healing comes when it's brought to the light. See, we have a very different view of sin than the rest of the world when we walk in the light. He goes after who you and I are, an accurate view of who you are and who I am because of what God has done. You're a child of God. Fellowship with God is what marks us as people. Like, I get to say, I know God. And I know some of you think that is such a strange statement and you would never want to say it in public. But it's the truth about the children of God. 
We have fellowship with him because we have fellowship with Christ. Like we have relationship with him. We see him as who he says he is and he is the authority and we get to walk with him. He no longer calls us servants. He calls us friends. Like this is the power of who you are in Christ. You get to say these things out loud. You get to say his spirit dwells in me, that I belong to God, not the world, not my sin, not my failures, not my mistakes. Those things don't define me. Christ does. This is who we are as the body of Christ. We know we're dead to our sin, like that thing that once controlled you. You now have a new strength that allows you to walk free. And then he goes after our view of God. And I love that he goes after our, our wrong views of God. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness. That God is love, like he says these words. God is love, and if I don't know what love is and I'm not looking at Jesus, I will never have an accurate view of love. Not only is God love, but he loves us. Like, that's what we're told. And we get to know that love. But not only does God love us, it actually says that he loved us first. You didn't start the love relationship. He started it with you. That causes you to go, wait a minute. I know me. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. But if the scripture is right, God saw me in my sin and still loved me because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You didn't ask for God to send his son. You didn't beg for that. He gave it to us. Like he made it possible to know his love. So not only does God love us, not only is God love, he loved us first. Like, boom. God wants us to know Jesus. Like, that's his plan. Know my son, and you will know me. Don't know my son, you don't know me. That is offensive on every level in this culture. But if Jesus be true, Jesus be right, then the way to know the Father is only to know his son. And it is God's desire that we would know Jesus. He's not hiding him anymore. The secret has been revealed. We are all little Aunt Sue's now, awkward as we are, holding it in. We don't have to anymore. We get to let the world know that God loved us first. God wants us to know him and know his son. First John chapter five, starting in verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Like for me to look at his commandments and go, God, you loved me, I love you. I love what you say, I love what you do. I love the things you tell me that I should do, because I know it brings me life. All the other things, they want to kill me. Thanks for not doing that. Thanks for loving me in a way that I know that, man, I get to love your commands. It's not because I want to earn anything from you. It's because I know they bring me to life. Thank you for that. Very different than trying to earn anything as an employee for God. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are 
not burdensome. You know what is burdensome? The commandments of the world. That'll break you. That'll crush you. To try and live up to all that Facebook says you need to live up to. To live up to all that Instagram says you need to live up to. To live up to all that Twitter tells you you need to live up to. That'll crush you. You know what won't? God's commands. See, we're so broken in our way of thinking that we actually believe Facebook's burdens are lighter than the commands of God. That's how prideful our hearts are. And I love that God would reveal to us that he loves us and that his burdens are not burdensome. Verse four, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. John spends every little detail with his pen defending what is true. In, this, in these five chapters, he doesn't go into great detail about what is false, so it makes total sense that his final closing words to his children would be, verse 21, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. I am in constant need of this help. I am in constant need of hearing of the danger of idol worship. This was my Friday, and I want to show you this list. This was just Friday's idols competing in my own heart. Friday alone, I saw how these things were saying, come on, come on, just give us a glance, just give us a look, come on. We'll be there for you. We'll give you what you want. We'll give you what you need. We'll be that savior that you want. Just look at us. It's what we want. Guys, this was just Friday morning. I am not immune. You are not immune to the things of this world that shout from the hilltops will save you. The truth is, they cannot. Every one of those things promises some kind of salvation, and that's why people love idols. Every one of these things, I can make an ultimate thing, but because it is not God, I will be left thirsty, hungry, and unsatisfied. Jim Carrey gave a speech at one of the Golden Globes, and uh, I, I don't I don't know where he's on the charts. I have no clue what he's saying. But when he spoke these words, what really got me was the audience's response. So go ahead. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. <laughs> you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this 
this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. You know, they're all laughing. One of the hardest things I have found, and this is probably true in your own life, it is very hard to convince someone addicted to fame that fame is empty. It's hard to tell somebody that, um, that money, and they're addicted to money, it's hard to tell them that money is empty. It's hard to tell somebody addicted to new relationships, giving themselves to different partners and going to all the clubs and just trying to find that thing, trying to find the one thing they're addicted to acceptance and approval and will be willing to compromise. It's hard to tell someone addicted to those things that those things are empty. Thanks be to God that he doesn't just point out all the lists of everything that will leave us empty. Thanks be to God that he does not just say our idols are dumb. Thanks be to God that he goes, I give you a greater picture that will cause you to go, then that thing really isn't going to do it for me. See, the list, like I, you know, I wrote mine out just for Friday morning. The list of powerless idols is endless. It's endless. But the truth is, the list of powerful saviors has only one name on it. There's only one name. There's only one name on that list. And it's why we gather around that name and no other name. John made it clear. In John chapter 4, he said this. These are Jesus' words. Anyone who drinks this water, he's pointing at physical water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. There is only one name. This morning we are going to close our time with a time of confession and communion. And what I mean by that is this. Psalm 23 is a very popular verse, set of verses read at all certain different events in Christian life. If you've never heard Psalm 23, it goes this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful stream. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord. Forever. I see people quote it. I hear it spoken. 
I see people say these things all the time. Real confession is admitting and saying to God, I've lied to you about that. I have. You have. I have. So maybe you need to say these things. Fill in the blank is my shepherd. I have all that I need. To get to the root of your idol, it is that thing plus Jesus that if you've got those things, then you're good. Family is my shepherd. I have all that I need. My children are my shepherd. I have all that I need. My money is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Relationships, friendships, you name it. Your idol is your idol. And if you give it up today, it'll be a new one tomorrow. Confession is saying, Lord, I have felt my heart say, these things are my shepherd. And if I have those things, then I'll have all that I need. And then the rest of the psalm doesn't make any sense. We quote Psalm 23 all the time, but Psalm 24, the very next psalm, says these words. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. You and I have lifted our hands up with idols. You and I have lied. But you know who never did? Jesus. You know who never lifted his heart to idols? You, never, you know who never bowed his eyes and his, his life to the things of this world? Jesus. Jesus walked in perfect relationship with his father and he showed us what real life could look like. What a beautiful life surrendered to the will of God at all times actually looks like. You and I, we have tried to climb the mountain with idols in our hands and lies in our mouths, but Jesus never did. That's why we put our trust in him because we want the covering of Christ over our idol lifting hands and our lying mouths. That's the power of the gospel. And it's what we remember this morning. It's that even though I have worshiped idols, Jesus never did. And that is what causes us to know the assurance that we're his. This morning, we're gonna open up this place here simply to repent and to confess. And that's a time where you can just get with the Lord and go, God, I have taken these things. And sometimes it's good to move. Sometimes it's good to get on your knees. Sometimes it's good to just go to a place. We want to provide that this morning. Or maybe you need to confess to a brother or sister in this room. You need a body to look, look at and go, I just have to confess. These are the things I've been holding in my heart and I know they're taking the place and I don't want it and I want God's help to be free of those things and pray for one another. And then we will go into a time of communion together as we do every week. Why? 
because we remember it is Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You take that bread, you dip it in the juice, you take it in and you remember Jesus because he was the one who took our sin and gave us eternal life. Father, we love you. And I ask that you would let our hearts be honest with you this morning. God, we cannot see any transformation in our lives if we refuse to be real with you, to be real with ourselves, and to be real with others. Show us that in your calling out our idols, you're actually saying, come close to me. You're actually saying, come home. You're actually saying, run to me, not from me, when you reveal our idols. Thank you in your kindness. Thank you that you love us, that you would let us know these good, good truths of Christ.